Well, hello, dear listener. Welcome to the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove podcast, where we talk about news and politics and sex and religion. Look, we used to do it every week, but it's becoming bi-weekly at the moment with other things going on. So anyway, we're back this week. We're going to talk about uh, ScoMo and his lies, and we're going to talk about a bunch of other topics. So sit back and relax and, and, uh, and enjoy it. If you're in the chat room, please say hello and let us know you're there and make some comments. We'll try and get to them if we can. I, of course, am Trevor, a.k.a. The Iron Fist. With me, as always, is Shay the Subversive. Hello. And Joe the Tech Guy. Evening, all. So there we go. All right. Well, it's been two weeks. And look, really, the last uh, week in particular, but pretty much the whole two weeks, Scott Morrison and the fiasco with what went on overseas in terms of Macron and then with Biden and all that sort of stuff. And my goodness, he was just exposed as, as a liar who can't keep track of his lies. Like he's, he's, he's making so many lies that he just responsively, just, he just responds with lies to any sort of threat to what, that he perceives and he can no longer sort of keep them all straight with the previous lies he's made. So he got exposed, which was interesting to watch, although a bit depressing, Shay, do you think? Like yeah. just seeing him bumble around? Yes. Embarrassing from our point of view. Yeah. Especially typically, certainly I've found in my international relations and friendships is that we're quite well liked usually. Yes. <laughs> not really, you're not typically avoided. Yes. Yeah. Yes, but would be starting to get a reputation, so that's right. Like people are going, "What's going on? Why? Why have they got this guy?" It's a reflection on Australia. Absolutely, that we've got this buffoon in charge. Absolutely, yeah. And look, part of it is an accurate reflection in that I think we're very comfortable here, and we haven't been challenged enough, and so we just don't care enough, and so we're letting a bunch of bozos overtake us while we're asleep mm. um, on our watch, mm. and then. So that's one part. I think the second part is the Murdoch press just continues to allow guys like Morrison to skate through largely unscathed on lots of things. Like mm. if they were not propping him up, he would have never got there in the first place, let alone survived as long as he has. So it's a combination of our, our good fortune to be so comfortable that we're just asleep at the wheel. And an incompetent mm. opposition, I think. Yes, and... But we don't kind of want to hear from an opposition that there are problems because we like to think we're comfortable and that it's almost, you know, Morrison's stick is to say it's all good, we're good, how good is Australia? And for the opposition to say actually things aren't that good. This is not good, that's not I'm, good. I'm, I'm thinking more of the, the big fear campaign about mm. the coal mining. Yes, uh, and I think what we're lacking is a viable plan of this is the future for regional Australia, mm. this is how we're going to get rid of coal mining, these are the industries that we're going to train you in, mm. here is our plan to change Australia mm. away from mining mm. and into other, you know, yes. renewable energy. Yes. And and you're right, Labor Party's um, not doing a good job either and essentially – it's not because they've been hijacked, but they've always been beholden to the unions. And we've just got these these mm -hmm. people who have done nothing except union jobs all their lives and or they've worked in offices for for Labor members. Just the calibre of people who are prepared to put their hand up is terrible at the moment. So 
And not just that, yeah. there's some structural problems with party mm. deals and yep. like Scott Morrison was actually rewarded for his bad behaviour and his sneakiness. Mm. Yes. And that certainly happens in the whole system. doesn't matter what party you're from. Yeah. Yeah. So got yep. a lot of cleaning up to do. Yep. So Christian nutbags overtaking the Liberals, union nobodies overtaking Labor, which they always have, Uh and a comfortable society that, that doesn't want to hear that things aren't as good as that they might on the surface appear to be. Mm. And in the end, we end up with a deal like Morrison representing us overseas. And that's why. <laughs> Combination of factors. And what is it, like 8% of Australians, probably mm. less, actually involved mm. in politics? Yes. So that's a small pool of talent we're trying to draw from. Mm. Mm. So it's all quite depressing, dear listener, but let's just run through and depress ourselves if that's what we've got to do. At least we'll be fully informed as we're depressed. So, look, I found this quite fascinating, the whole saga on what Morrison told the French about the deal and what he told the Americans and how all that panned out. So here's here's how I see it happening. So middle of June, Morrison actually met with Macron and we'll talk about it in detail, but essentially Morrison was quite positive about the subs deal, 15th of June. And 16th of September, AUKUS is announced, and at that point he cancels the sub deal with the French. It says, well, we're going to do something with the Americans, not sure what it is, but we're going to do something, and it's going to be nuclear. And then, of course, we've had this meeting with the climate stuff on the 1st of November. So... So initially, Morrison admitted that he didn't tell the French until AUKUS was announced. Like that was his initial statements on the record, that he didn't tell the French. Mm. And the reason was, he said, quote, that was not a matter that I was going to engage in in any sort of broad conversation about. So his initial statement about what he didn't didn't tell the French was that he didn't tell them. And when, of course, Macron was bailed up by the journalists and they said, do you think Morrison's a liar? And he said, I don't think I know. That beautiful French accent. Are you a sucker <laughs> for a French accent? At that point, Morrison is feeling offended that he's been labelled as just deceptive. So he then changes tack to say, I did tell them, kind of. And look, here's a text message that proves what I'm saying. A private text message which customarily would never be revealed, but, but he just blurts out the private text message. And the private text message was, it didn't prove his point. It proved that Macron was unsure of what was going to happen. So it didn't help. And we don't see any of the texts before or after it to give it its context. Mm. Who knows what was said indeed by Morrison after That's that right. text. Let, I'd be prepared to bet a substantial amount that if he responded to that text, it would have been nothing All to good. worry about, mate. Thumbs up. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, so initially we didn't tell the French. Then, oh, look, we told the French enough that they could work it out, that they were nervous. And then Biden comes out and says, well, we thought the French knew. Surprise mm. to us that they didn't know. That's right. And so then Morrison leaks another document, a 15-page <laughs> confidential memo between Australia and the US, which details oh. explicitly that they were keeping the French in the dark until AUKUS was announced. 
And so he uses that to prove that the Americans knew that the French did not know. So on the one hand, he's, really, he's saying the French didn't know. Then he says, oh, they did know. Look at this text. Then he releases a 15-page statement, which is him and the Americans and the British colluding together and admitting they're not going to tell the French until AUKUS is revealed. Well, of course, it's all the UK's fault. Yes. I hate the French. Yeah, yeah. But this is where he's <laughs> lost track of his lies. He's telling so many lies that uh, he's just like, oh, now I've got to hit Biden with something. I'll hit him with this. Oops, hang on a minute. That totally contradicts what I've been saying. It proves that the French didn't know because we actively told them we weren't, we actively agreed we weren't going to tell them and we were dealing with how we're going to smooth the waters once we tell them. Mm. Just just appalling behaviour, you know, like, okay, you can cancel a contract, you can terminate contracts. That's right. You, but, but you just do it openly and honestly. That's right. And these guys could have built a nuclear sub if that's what you wanted. Exactly. Or they, you know, rightly said they gave us access to information about confidential security stuff. Mm-hmm on the basis that we'd be going ahead with a contract and now we've pulled out and they're going, oh, wish we hadn't told them all that stuff. Fair yeah. enough complaint. But you just want to be treated with respect. That's right. And, of course, when you read the Murdoch press, it's so... Well, infamous. apparently the French weren't up to speed with weren't keeping their deals on the submarine. Well, that's another one of the lies of exactly. Morrison. It's another one of the lies. So uh, let me just scoot forward to that. Let me just see. So... Okay, no, I'm going to get to that in a minute. And we could have rung them up a few years ago and said this isn't mm. working, couldn't we? Uh, yes, and I mean they yeah. were doing some querying with them, yeah. but in the June meeting Morrison said, look, we had some issues, but on the whole it was all very positive and it's onwards and upwards sort of stuff. Okay. So, yeah. so, so on the 1st of November when Morrison is pissed with Macron, he said on the submarine contract, there was a lot of issues in relation to delays in the project and, of course, the costs. And it was our concerns over the early delays and the delivery on, particularly on things like Australian industry content, time and cost that had raised concerns in my mind. So basically complaining about time delays and cost overruns. That was on the 1st of November. But the truth is, back in September the 16th, when he announced AUKUS and he said we're cancelling the... French subs, he said, when announcing the termination of the contract, asked about blowouts, delays, all sorts of complications, Morrison said, I wouldn't share your assessment of the project as you outlined. I'm aware of those criticisms, but I don't believe they are all founded in what is fact, and I'm sure the Defence Secretary would agree with me. The Defence Secretary later told Senate Estimates Hearing, they have been terminated because our requirements have changed, not because of the poor performance by either the Naval Group or Lockheed Martin Australia. So... They just completely change their tune depending on what they're wanting to do at the time. Just bald-faced lies all the time that are on the record. These are things that are part of press conferences. <laughs> That's right. Ah, no accountability. None. It's so frustrating that, yeah. that, that, that even though it's on the record, the videotape is there, you are a complete fucking liar mm. and nobody cares. And according to the Australian, Morrison's doing a great job and it's Macron who's um, being peevish about the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, I told you it's going to be depressing, dear listener. 
what's the solution? Okay, if uh, in the chat room, hello to James and Greg, Dice Straits, Bronwyn, Jack H and Craig again. So, yeah. So keep up with your comments in there and have a good chat. It was ScoMo who was quoted. He Literally his words were quoted back to him and he was saying that's a misrepresentation. Yes, mm. indeed. Indeed. So what can we do when truth no longer matters? It's, it's like something out of an Orwellian novel, isn't it? Whether, you know, they're rewriting stuff. Mm. War with Eurasia. Yeah, exactly. Now you don't even have to rewrite it. Just claim it. Like, why bother going back and erasing things? Because you don't have to. You can just paint a new reality mm. and just charge on without even altering the historical documents mm. if people don't care. Mm. And enough of them don't. Well, and, and that's what Trump has brought to the world, isn't yeah, it? Yes. He was the person that introduced the just bluster your way through and keep on lying and eventually yes. people will give up trying to correct you. Yes. And this wasn't always the case. No. It was not no. the case in previous, go back 10, 20 years. This didn't happen like this. Mm. So it's incredibly frustrating to, mm. to watch. And I don't know what the solution is, except there is a talk of a, a petition for a royal commission on the Murdoch Empire. So, mm. you know, let's hope that gets up because they are a sort of a key feature in this. If there was just yes. a, a regular, normal media, none of this would happen. Mm. That I don't know what you can do to to that. create a regular normal media anymore, except mm. turn off Facebook. Well, yes, I, I turn off. I don't know. I mean, I as you know, read all of that. I read the Kurimal, the Australian bits and pieces, and I was getting quite frustrated at one point, and then I just had to change my mindset and say, instead of reading the newspaper, I'm about to sit down and read. The propaganda newsletter from Mr yes. Murdoch, and this is just an insight into Murdoch's priorities at this point in time, mm. and just treat it like that. You just cannot treat it like a normal newspaper. You would just no. you'll just kill yourself if you do. Mm. So okay, so yeah. oh, actually, now what other things did just before we finish with Macron and 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 Morrison? Well, the other thing was that Macron was very specific when he said. I love the Australian people. I love and respect them. They're great, the Australian people. Mm. But essentially when it comes to your leader, he's a fucking asshole. <laughs> That's right. That's and what that does, bit was unsaid. And what does Morrison say? But I, I will won't not, be slagged or Australia. No, I will not stand for my fellow Australians being <laughs> vilified like this. I've got broad shoulders. I can handle <laughs> abuse, but I will not tolerate my fellow Australians and my country being spoke about in this manner. And it's like, what language are we talking here? Like, sometimes you would think, oh, I wish I'd anticipated he would say that and I would have put in the proviso so that he couldn't say that. Yeah. And Macron has actually done that. He's mm. anticipated the bullshit. He's put in a very specific, I'm fine with Australians, just not that one. And... Totally ignored it, blustered his way through. It's yeah. it's quite incredible. Quite incredible. That part was incredible. What else was in there? Of the highlight you know, I wanted to say highlights of the whole interaction here. I think that was about it. So yeah. So Nikki Sava, journalist, said it's an outstanding trifecta when the Chinese refuse to talk to you, the American president thinks you are a buffhead, and the French president calls you a liar. <laughs> and of course, 
Well, the other thing there with that climate conference was nobody listened to his speech. It was an empty room. Mm -hmm. Did you see the Australian Pavilion? Yes. Sponsored by by Santos. Santos. (laughs) With a coffee machine and a flat screen TV with nothing on it. And then, like, Twitter went nuts over this as well because they're like, oh, he wasn't yelling, it was the echo. (laughs) Because that image was only, like, came to light afterward. First, there he is. (laughs) (laughs) And now I'm going to play a little clip from, oh, yeah, Greg Blackshaw says, don't forget to call everyone else Orwellian as you do it. That's right. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So the other thing was when he was giving his speech, he meant to say climate change. And, but instead, <laughs> yeah. he's talked about China. So I've just got a clip for you here. So just, just have a listen to this. The scene is set. Global momentum to tackle China, climate change is building. Tackle China, climate, tackle China, climate, tackle China, climate. He's so used to tackling China. That's right. <laughs> he forgot. Every time he gets behind a microphone, I'm obviously here to tackle China. I must be. Oops. Oopsies. Climate change. Oh, God. So, yeah, yeah. Look, um, Crikey is doing excellent work, I think, these days. Mm. If you don't have a Crikey subscription, I would recommend it, actually. If you're, yeah, I, I really like the John Menendy blog and I really like Crikey is, is doing some good investigative stuff. And so they have on their page assembled basically a list of lies by Morrison. So... They have his statement and, and they have a footnote as to when and where he said it in a link. So mm-hmm. you can categorically know that he said, you know, ABC and then, of course, six weeks later, a footnote and a, and a link as to where he said the complete opposite. And there's just a litany of these lies from Morrison that they're producing. They also did a really good series on, on religion with uh, Morrison and, and, yeah, they're doing really good stuff at Crikey. So mm. if you've got to spare a few dollars, that's a group worth supporting. So, so the bit I called out before about the lies in relation to the delays in the project as opposed to just changing their mind, that was from Crikey. And so Sammy J did a really good one where he pretended to be a royal commission into whether Scott Morrison is a liar or not and it goes on a bit but i've just got an excerpt here from that and i'll just play that one as well the question remains if hypothetically the prime minister was capable of lying what else might have been untrue were they really on water matters can he in fact hold a hose will net zero by 2050 really kill the economy were sporting grants really distributed on the basis of merit was Hillsong Pastor Brian Houston's invitation to the White House really just gossip? Was Australia really at the top of the queue for vaccines? Was he really loyal to his leader? Was his office really not made aware of allegations of sexual assault? These things we'll never know. I think we know the answer on most yes. of them. <laughs> there we go. All right, that's enough on Scott Morrison. Just for the moment, I'll scoot back to him briefly at another point, but so let's let's move on to some other things. I saw an interesting post from a friend who said, now Queensland often gets accused of being sort of Hicksville, don't we? Mm. Sort of painted as being uncultured and, yes. and uh, all the rest of it. Well, as of yesterday, so this was November the 2nd, the Queensland government made world feminist history. 
We have a woman as Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, Premier of the State, Governor of the State, Police Commissioner, and the heads of the four top universities in the state. That wasn't bad, really. Jobs for, jobs for the girls. <laughs> yeah. So when you think about Montesquieu's separation of powers, where you've got the, the legislature, the judiciary, and you've got the enforcement arm of the police, at the moment, all run by women. Pretty good. And I'm even not, the governor. I'm not familiar with all of them, but they yeah. mostly seem very talented as well. So anyway, that's Queensland at the moment, dear listener. Yep. Uh, a lot of women in charge. Mm. So, so there we go. Now, this was an interesting one, Shay, the Horticulture Award. So there's been a scam going on for God knows how long now where we have these awards in all sorts of industries, mm-hmm. minimum hourly rate had to be paid except for fruit picking. And, and basically there were these piecemeal rates that were existing where people had to pick X number of apples, oranges, strawberries or whatever and they would be paid based on the number of pieces of fruit or boxes that they filled, and decision came out. So the Fair Work Commission decision granted the AWU's application to, to vary the award to end that current exemption. So now there has to be a minimum hourly wage paid. And Great. look, if you get a picker who's really fast and you can still have an incentive in there that if they pick a whole lot of fruit in a short amount of time, you can pay them more, but you have to pay them at least the minimum. Mm -hmm. I I did read a thing in there that said the option was either award or piecework, Mm -hmm. but the piecework, the rate had to be negotiated between the unions and the employers, and it was never negotiated by the unions. The employers just said, we're giving you this much. Yes, it was never a negotiation because often the people involved couldn't speak English or limited capacity. Unaware of their legal rights. Or were backpackers or were on temporary visas and they were beholden to the employer. Yep. It was basically a take-it-or-leave-it approach. Yep. Mm. Yeah. So I was telling you earlier, one of the young people I know is an Aussie. He went and did some fruit picking and one of the tricks he learned was different rows in the field would be less productive for some reason because they had more sunlight like on the ends or whatever and... So if you were stuck on one of those, you would earn less money because you were picking second-class fruit and you got less money for it and things like that. So even though he was working just as hard that day, if he was in a wrong patch, bad luck, got Mm -hmm. less money. So that's a good thing that that's at an end. And, like, sometimes I look at – do you ever look at a punnet of fruit, like strawberries, two for $5 or something, and you think, how do they do this? Yeah, this is too cheap. Yes, I, I've heard of the things that the supermarkets do as well. Mm. Oh, basically, we're discounting your product this week, and you're wearing the discount. Yes, and all sorts of so. Yeah. And what do you mean? Oh, it's in your contract clause uh, thirty-seven, subparagraph B. Uh, and basically, two. because they have such a large monopoly on the market, the vendors, the 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 growers have to go along with it, mm. or they just don't get shelf space. Yeah, And so I think the farmers are getting the short end of the stick and they're passing it on. Mm. Yeah. And, uh, you know. So maybe now we'll have to really look at proper regulation. Like yeah. Trevor lent me a book exa- exactly saying what you mm-hmm. just said about the Woolworths and Coles basically 
just hitting the supply chain there yep. to make some extra money. So maybe I mean, the farmers will have to put more pressure on the Farmers' Federation to be like, we better go back here and have a look at mm. this law that never got up yep. before. But you know what? I reckon there would have been farmers. There might be some who are actually happy with it because they would figure – I'd like to pay a proper wage, but yes. I can't because I'm competing against all these other guys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So now I know everybody else is having to pay that same amount. Mm. I can now pay people this amount and and compete. And, okay, the price is going to go up, but I know I'm not going to be undercut by these other people because they're paying less for wages. Mm. And personally, I know I've looked at strawberries sometimes and whatnot in the supermarket and gone, that, that is so cheap. It's ridiculous. How did they pack it, get it on a truck, put it on the shelf and sell that for two bucks? I just don't get how that was possible. So mm. I'm happy to pay a bit more. What used to shock me was I'd go to the supermarkets in mm. Jersey and in the UK, Jersey is known as a potato growing area. The early potatoes are well known. Right. And you'd look at the spuds and they were green. Mm-hmm. And you're going, we have fields and fields of this. This is been sitting on your shelf for how long right it was just the you could go and buy fresh from the local farmer down the road yeah they they were selling them uh, on a stall at the end of their driveway or whatever and it was an honor system you put a quid in and get a bag of spuds or whatever and people would just go to the supermarket because it was convenient right yep i told you it was a depressing episode (laughs) (laughs) on the upside it kind of sets a precedent so the work the work that I do, try to advocate for young workers and hospitality industry is rife in it with exploitation. Mm. And this has given me an idea around one particular group is making billions of dollars and paying people way below the award rate. Mm. So maybe there are small businesses in the area mm. who would be interested to know that mm-hmm. because they're trying to be fair to their workers and trying to do the right thing and they're essentially being undercut as well. Yep. So I could start a petition and go mm. around to the small businesses in the area and be like, mm. you know what's up? Because talking to the workers, the workers are too afraid. Right. Yep. So we need to right. find another ally. Can't, can't they just be dobbed in to some body? They have been over right. and over. Even right. the Courier Mail did an expose on them just right. before COVID hit. Right. Like a three-page lift out. Okay. And then COVID hit and then it just like all went away. Right. Just like that, it all went just away. Just like that. <laughs> Well, we're desperate to get the workers back into work. Well, actually, I know somebody in the HR world, Mm -hmm. in retail, and she was telling me that it's really hard to get workers at the moment Mm. in just just shop assistant roles and basically has to take whatever she can get. There's no point interviewing and checking things and whatever because if they've got a warm body and a pulse um, <laughs> they'll do pretty much got a job <laughs> at the moment it yep. seems in retail as a shop assistant so yeah so that was in sydney and there's the great is it the great awakening uh, with everybody resigning yeah I, i've seen that but i haven't really investigated it but it's supposed to be a movement where people are saying bugger so, this i'm out of here but basically with the lockdowns and everything people mm. are reconsidering their priorities and a lot of people in the states it started in the states have yeah. gone you're taking advantage of me i just don't feel that this work is worth my time and effort and they're just quitting yeah and they're getting enough social security that they can still survive? I, or they're just 
changing careers. Right. They've decided that this was the shake-up to finally get out of what they hated. I'm surprised they've got choices. I'm sort of, I'm surprised they're not locked into paying a rent or a mortgage and so that they can't do that. that that's what I would have thought intuitively. Yeah, I, I think because they're already living hand to mouth. Right. Mm. Okay. They're thinking, well, yeah. Okay. How much what? harder can it get? When I first got stood down, I went and got a job at a furniture shop and I was mm. like, Bloody hell, I was so spoiled in my previous job. This is really hard. Right. And I quit, right. even though I really didn't know whether there was any more income coming in. There you go. And got another job at a different retail shop and that was considerably yeah. better. So right. okay. there's but some competition there. But your told you that this is, there's got to be something better than this. Because I knew there was something better because yeah. I previously worked with Secure Work and yeah. got my allocated breaks and, mm. yeah, so... Yeah, it's like, no, not confident. <laughs> Good on you. All right. So, yeah, so that was the AWU and a good battle there was done by them. So, well done, AWU, mm -hmm. union actually achieving something. Why did it take so long? Is my only question. <laughs> I don't know. Mm. Actually, talking of farm workers, every time the whole human trafficking comes up, and people always go, oh, sex workers, sex workers, it's all about the sex, you know, sex smuggling. It isn't. The vast majority of trafficked people end up fruit picking. Right. Or doing other farm work. Yes. Yep. So they're also known for that. So whether this will cause an increase because they're now having to pay people real wages so they'll just smuggle people in, mm. or whether this will fix that, I don't know. It's quite difficult to smuggle people in, though, isn't it? At the moment, yeah. yes. So, all right, well, we'll see. Now, meanwhile, in America, the Senate of the US state of Wisconsin has just approved a bill allowing 14-year-old children to engage in paid work until as late as 11pm. Hmm. Climbing up chimneys? <laughs> <laughs> Possibly, yes. Businesses throughout the state see a massive increase in traffic during the summer tourist season, explained a spokesperson pushing for child night workers. So much so that it can be difficult to find employees to work odd hours and seasonal times. And according to the writer that, of the that's article... That's what overtime is for, isn't yeah. it? Well, according to the writer of the article, I mean, they could offer to pay adults more money, but that's not how modern capitalism chooses to roll. There we go. Mind you, when I was... 15 or 16, I was working at McDonald's after school and on a mm. weeknight would work a shift from 5 till 10.30 or 11. Yeah. So. Every was, day? No, no. Just a different odd hours and things. So that was sort of commonplace back then mm. for 15-year-olds. Yeah. And you've mm. noticed that all the fast food establishments are teenagers and then sack them when they turn 18. Yes, that's right. Well, you don't sack them, you just don't give them Many work. Ships. Well, that's exactly. true. Yes. <laughs> and you just say, oh, sorry, didn't yeah. have any work for you this week. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah so, just yeah. had a bunch of new people, funnily enough, 15-year-olds who I had to give some work to. <laughs> yeah. We pay half the rate that we have to pay you. That's right. And really, and that happened at McDonald's for sure all the oh, time. Oh, absolutely. Still and does. really the point was, well, you're now 18, go and pull beers in a bar. Like now you can work in a licensed yes. establishment. Go yes. and do that you job. You get paid more if you have your RSA anyway, so go, off you go. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so 
Yeah, the Great Resignation was what it was called. That was it. Yeah. So Americans refusing to return to the workplace conditions they no longer accept. So I'm just surprised. Dire Straits says there's a huge homeless population in the US and a lot of them have a job. That is true, Dire Straits. So mm. a lot of walk, working poor who... Yeah, live in the cars yeah. quite often in the car, but in the parking lot. Yeah. That's why I just can't work. Figure these people could actually quit. I don't know what they're going to do for food. Anyway. Food banks. Yeah. Uh, apparently the queues at the beginning of COVID to f- mm. for food banks was huge. Mm-hmm. Because people, yeah, the businesses yeah. were just laying people off. Yeah. Some incredible percentage of Americans are on food stamps. Mm. Like something like 30. Robert Wright regularly talks about mm. that. The Walmart. Mm. So the biggest, biggest employer, I think, mm. certainly the biggest private employer in the States, pay their employees so little that they end up on food stamps. So effectively, the US taxpayer is subsidised at Walmart yes. by paying or by giving them food so they can afford to work for nothing for Walmart. Yes. And the other thing is they get financial advisors to come in to talk to the staff mm-hmm. and the assumption is that everybody has a second job. Yes. When they're talking to them in terms of their structuring their affairs and all the rest of it is now for your second job. Yeah. So we've talked about it before. The, you know, in the 60s, a, a working class American was a Detroit auto worker who was on the equivalent of $60,000 in today's money plus health care. And now that same uh. worker is a Walmart worker who's on essentially $20,000 and no health care. That's the sort of way it's worked out oh allison says my 20 year old nephew and his girlfriend both work for walmart in texas well tell us some stories allison are they well are they students are they do they need second jobs are they trying to support a family that would be interesting to know what their experience is there okay talk around the traps religious discrimination bill is still on the agenda it seems so one of the few things that this government might actually do unfortunately is try and get this Spill past, so it's important, you know. Yeah, because Christians are discriminated against all the time. Indeed. So there's a few things in there. Look, on the face of it, if it was just a a discrimination bill, like every other discrimination bill, basically protecting individuals if they are discriminated against for being of a particular religion, you'd go, okay, fair enough. But what the bill in its draft form is doing is it's going to have a fallout clause that will give legal protection to somebody wanting to express a statement of belief in the same way that fallout told everybody they're going to hell but still wanted all the sponsors to pay him money for being <laughs> yes. a role model. So they would stop an employer from sacking somebody for expressing that belief. It's going to be a conscientious objection. I'm going to have fun with that. You are. Mm. Oh, because you're a pastafarian, boy? Yes. Right. I, I'm going to loudly express my beliefs about Christians. Right. Okay. You're, <laughs> yes. Or a Satanist could do the same. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And the way it was phrased, certainly in the early drafts, was, you know, it had to be a statement in accordance with the belief of your church. But it didn't have to be a belief widely held within the church. All you needed was was it something that somebody in that religion could conceivably hold as a belief 
yes. didn't really need to be a core belief in any sense. Well, when this was first mooted, mm. I was in hospital and I overheard a couple of student doctors talking. Mm. And one of them said, well, of course, if this bill passes, um, it's my deeply held religious belief that politicians don't need analgesia. Right. So if any of them come in for any medical attention at all, I'm not going to give them pain relief because it goes against my religious beliefs. Yes. Well, they could have been relying on the other provision, which is uh, conscientious objection provisions that allow health practitioners to refuse to provide certain treatment. Mm -hmm. This is aimed, of course, at bedroom matters of birth control and things like that where pharmacists would not want to provide mm -hmm. condoms or the morning mm -hmm. after pill or something like that. Well, the, the worrying one was the pill. Mm. Yes, or just the pill. But refusing to provide the pill and you're going, there are mm. many other reasons for people to be on the pill. That's mm. right. Not just contraception. Indeed. Mm. And you've chosen to be in a business that's highly regulated. Mm. In fact, the government says, you well, can't. we're not going to put a pharmacist in this area because there's already one here. And But if you are there and you provide all of these services, then we will license you and we'll do all these things. I mean, if you don't want to be part of that system, don't become a pharmacist. Exactly. Part of the deal. So, look, I was quickly looking through the messages in the chat room. I see, did he ever have to wear a nappy, Bronwyn? So I don't know what that's about, but anyway. So the Amazon workers oh, okay. aren't, aren't given time to go to the toilet. That's Amazon, but well, Alison's friend was in Walmart. Yes. And I think, I think they get, it's not quite as tough I, as... Amazon. believe it isn't. Yeah. So I lent you that book by that lady who... So in this book, this lady, she's a journalist, and mm. as an experiment, she decides to try three different jobs. One is as a worker in an Amazon warehouse. McDonald's. And a, uh, McDonald's, and the third one was a call centre. Yes. And so it's very interesting. It's really interesting. It's so sad. Yeah, it's so and sad. Was, was it an outbound call centre, a sales call centre? It, it was a complaints... Okay, well, or, slightly, or a tech help complaints. That, that's slightly less depressing. The outbound ones where they're cold calling people, trying to sell them shit, mm. and you're based on commission. That would yeah. be no. This was help center. So yeah. of the three, it was interesting. Physically, the the Amazon, Amazon warehouse was just a really physical ordeal where mm. everyone's legs were killing them, mm -hmm. and the painkillers. You, there was an office where you could normally go to get painkillers, but what Amazon decided was there was too many people waiting outside the office door, wasting time. So they put them in a vending machine that you could access for free, <laughs> your painkillers. And a common talk amongst the workers was about be careful, don't take too many painkillers. It's sort of tempting to to to, to go That's for too right. many and you need to regulate yourself. And yeah. a lot of these people sleeping in cars. That's right. Their coping yep. strategies included, you know, yeah. alcohol and... And essentially know. handed this gadget and this trolley and you just scoot around this warehouse madly grabbing stuff. The thing told you, you've got to be at aisle 421, mm. section D, within 25 seconds to mm. maintain the pace. Grab that widget, put it in the box, keep going and... Yeah. And it was just head down, bum up the entire time. Yeah. Oh, it's tough. An overarching like, threat of being, they're yeah. bringing in robots. Yeah. Yeah, so they better keep up the pace. And, and now time for my break. I've got a 20-minute or a 30-minute meal break. And I've got and a 25-minute walk. I'm at the wrong end of the <laughs> warehouse and it's literally 25 minutes to get to the canteen, you know, where my lunch is. 
terrible stuff. It was terrible. That sounded really grueling. And and then the other one was the McDonald's worker was, yeah, some customers were rough and tough on people and it was hard work. That one didn't seem too bad, but the one that really got her was the call centre was emotionally, they'd have people screaming at them mm. on the phone and and they would just fall to pieces and just be shattered by the experiences. It was of the three, the call center sounded the worst mm-hmm. to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So that was interesting. One of my customers is a council, and I installed the, the, the call center for them. Right. And they have an area with a couch. <laughs> right. Where yeah. if they've been dealing with puppies, right? Or no? Almost. Right. If they've been dealing with the rough customer, the supervisor literally just sends them there for yes. 10 minutes to calm down. And yeah. Because they understand that some customers are assholes. Yes. Mm. Yeah. And certainly it might be changing now, but my personal experience is there is a level of self-control face-to-face mm-hmm. It does seem to be somewhat not not as typical on the phone. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Some people do some Maybe, terrible yeah. screaming at uh, yes. people. So, yeah. I'll, we'll get you the name of the book at some stage, dear listener. Good one to mm. read. Mm. It's quite depressing. And, and a lot of these people were living in their cars. Yeah. And it's the American yeah. dream, though. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That was a little sideline. Oh, yeah. Back to the religious discrimination bill. And the other one was, of course, the ability for religious institutions to discriminate against staff on the basis of religion. So a few things in this religious discrimination bill. Robin and I, representing the Noosa Temple of Satan, will be meeting with Amanda Stoker. Oh, you finally got a meeting? Yes, it's due for Monday. Well, allegedly. We'll see it when it happens. This Monday? Yes. Ah, very good. Are you going to wear your dog collar again? I don't know. I don't know. I was impressed with those photographs. (laughs) (laughs) So, dear listener, we had our Noosa Temple of Satan protest march. I was very happy with my outfit. Yeah, yeah, it looked good. I had the uh, I had the full minister's dog collar on, mm-hmm. and uh, I like to think I had the scariest outfit there. Yeah, yes, exactly. I would agree. I thought it was. <laughs> it felt really weird walking the street, heading towards it because there, there was a Halloween costume I saw, which was a Catholic priest with a young child attached at the groin. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. <laughs> so. Um, so anyway, yes, dear listener, I forgot to mention we had our because we exercised our religious freedom, we were unable to book the J to hold our our annual Black Mass ceremony. So it was good. Had a little ceremony on the street, marched uh, down Hastings Street, let the traffic through, came back up. Lovely group of people. Some lovely mm. people showed up. Probably about thirty to thirty-five, I I reckon. Shay's mum was there. Police were good. Police turned up. Um, onlookers so onlookers were were fine gave us a bit of a cheer tv crew was there so one day there'll be a compass episode sometime next year so you'll see it all there as part mm. of the whole thing so anyway it was it was good fun and just lovely people actually who all mm. got it and and were good yeah good interesting mix of people mm. so hello to mel if you're there in the chat room maybe you're not mel but she was there as well with her family so mm. yeah Few kids were there. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Next year we'll have to start a little bit earlier because the kids were starting to um, get tired. Yeah, get tired. Mm. So sort of a storm came, but it just passed well, us the right time. Well, we got out. a little bit soaked, but by the time we were marching, it was okay. So yeah, all good. Yeah, okay. That was the religious discrimination bill. Have you heard about JFK truthers? This is this weird. was the probably most alarming <laughs> thing about this conspiracy stuff so far. Do you this think QAnon? 
crazies in America is 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 just plain weird. So this is an article. It's not an uncommon sight in the United States. Hundreds of supporters turning out to see their preferred candidate announcing a politician run. But a massive crowd in Dallas, Texas, were left disappointed when their candidate didn't show up at all. But there's a good reason for his absence. John F. Kennedy Jr. has been dead for 21 years. Nevertheless, hundreds of QAnon conspiracy theorists showed up at Dealey Plaza in the, expect- in the expectations that Mr. Kennedy would emerge. They thought he would be named as vice president to a reappointed Donald Trump. And according to this QAnon theory, Trump would resign. JFK Jr. would take the presidency and then Michael Flynn would be named as vice president. And they all thought that this was going to happen at a particular time on a particular day as part of this QAnon conspiracy. Hundreds of them showed up wearing Trump Kennedy T-shirts. And a quote from one person here, I believe at 11.55, JFK Jr. will be our next vice president. And President Trump will be our president. She did not believe that JFK Jr. was killed in 1963 and that he would still be alive. So well, that he's a Democrat. Hang, hang <laughs> if, if Trump can only stand for two terms, mm. does that mean if these people believe that he's the president now, but, that he won't be able to stand in 2024? <laughs> uh, well, details. Anyway, if JFK Jr. was to appear, he'd be 104 years old if he hadn't died already. So it was just weird, these people. And there's a bit of a theory that JFK Jr. is the mysterious Q himself. So weird footage pictures. There were all these people lined up in this huge long queue. They were gathered in a single line and one by one approached a man with a bird on his shoulder who appeared to be giving them individual directions. Just crazy, only in America stuff. He's a pirate. He's got a parrot on his shoulder. Indeed. So they were lining up getting instructions from him. Anyway, there's an article here about Ruth Graham, national correspondent at the New York Times. Graham reported, Almost everyone I spoke with brought up religion without my asking. We are living in biblical times. God sent us. It's biblical and it's about Jesus and on and on. Most of them were regular churchgoers. It's according to the New York Times reporter. Neither Kennedy showed up at the appointed time, though there was some confusion with the time zone of the prediction. Many attendees held out hope for the Rolling Stone concert tonight, where Michael Jackson is rumoured to be making an appearance. (laughs) Given the bizarre nature of QAnon theories, it's unclear whether the last part of her Twitter thread was a joke. Like, oh, they really... Pose um, law. Pose law. What is it again? Uh, There is no... No parody strange enough mm. that it couldn't have been said by a creationist. Mm. Yeah. So, Tom, the warehouse guy, what do you think of the Biden government blocking the release of the documents? What documents were they? Don't know, Tom. I think it, is it, was it about JFK's shooting or I don't know. Don't know. Don't know. Wouldn't surprise me if there was some CIA investigation sort of something. hand behind his assassination. Who knows? Anything's possible. Mm. So right. been alleged. Yeah. So, okay. And what else do we have here? Oh, the whole thing about that baby Cleo, mm. uh, four-year-old who was abducted, and that was a long I, time. I think we need to be careful about what we say, though. Right. 
be careful. Not not to prejudice the trial. Yes. Cleo allegedly taken. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I think. Where I'm heading with this. Hang on, let me see what I said. I'll, I'll, well, what I'm, the part I want to comment on is that Morrison, of course, made comments. Mm, he did. And I unfortunately subscribed to the Scott Morrison Facebook page. <laughs> He's such a jingoistic, good on you <laughs> commentator about everything. Of course, he had to commentate about this. With a picture of him. So. I didn't see these ones, but according to this report from the Daily Mail, quoting Morrison, this particular case has captured the hearts of Australians and I want to thank all of the police and all of those involved in making sure Cleo is safe, Mr Morrison said. Thank you so much. I just thank God that Cleo is home and is safe. Uh, And he took to social media to echo those comments, writing, quote, our prayers answered. And different people responded, but the best response was Western Australian Police Minister Paul Papalia took a subtle swipe at Morrison's comments. Quote, if you feel the need to thank God today, thank God for the West Australian Police Force, he said (laughs) in a press conference. It's a good line. (laughs) Only in Australia? Like, you couldn't say that, I don't think, in America, could you? You'd never... I mean, I haven't seen, really seen that in Australia until now. Have you seen anybody Clap publicly back? sort of respond back like that? As, no. As bluntly as that? It's sort of a first time, really. I mean, it, historically, it was one of those you didn't talk about people's religion. Hmm. Yeah. So it's, I don't recall seeing this sort of thing. I think it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But Ridiculing him for ridiculous beliefs. Yeah, well, yeah I'm just, yes. And just sort of pointing out, well, it's fake. I mean, it was all, thank, thank God. Honestly, there must have been God's plan for it all to happen in the first place. Uh, Be- Betty Bowers with her. America's bestest Christian. Yes, right? with the thanking God for sparing your life during a mass shooting. Yes. It is like sending a thank you note to the psychopath who killed everybody for not killing you. Yes, that's right. Yes. Mm. Same when you see pictures of a tornado has run through some American town and the, the one building left standing has got, thank God, sort of yes. painted on the, on the roof. And, uh, and all the ruins have got, fuck you, God, on them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so that was uh, that one. Oh, um, just talking of Cleo, there was a grief vampire. Okay. Sorry, a psychic. Right. Who who is on YouTube predicting that they would find Cleo's body because she was dead. Right. Mm. So she didn't see that one coming, did she? No, No, that's right. If she's from the Scott Morrison school of (laughs) history rewriting, (laughs) it doesn't matter. Just keep going. Oh, yeah, because you remember the hits and forget the misses. Okay. Now... Here's another depressing one for In Queensland, LNP members at the party state council meeting in Gladstone on Saturday supported calls for the state opposition to adopt a policy that would mandate the singing of the national anthem at the beginning of the school day for all schools. Uh, Former state candidate Pinky Singh argued that singing the anthem each day would foster unity regardless of the student's race or religion. Maybe they could stand with their hand on their heart whilst looking at the Australian flag Mm. and saying one nation under God. Right. Yes. That's what happens in America. Yes. 
at every school in the morning all the time? Yeah. Right. Is I, it part I, of it? I don't know if it's only public schools. Right. But the, the Supreme Court found, I think, back in the 50s that they couldn't force children to recite the Pledge of Allegiance. Okay. But all children do stand every morning and recite the Pledge of Allegiance okay. unless they have a moral objection to it. Right. There we go. So the LNP wants to bring in something like that here. Maruchidor MP Fiona Simpson, who led the meeting singing of the anthem earlier, said if children did not learn to embrace the importance of the national anthem in school, they would not understand it when they left. <laughs> she said she'd been surprised to learn a small number of schools never sang the national anthem. <coughs> Quote, we must ensure our children understand how important it is as part of their national identity and then grow that as citizens, she said. Thoughts, Shay, on singing the national anthem? Hi. I guess I sort of saw it from the way it ties into your next topic around taking the knee. Right. Yeah. So I used to sing the Catholic song and then the national anthem, I think, once a week at school. Right. You know, don't think it did, it did me any harm. Right. But I don't think it was of uh, huge importance either. Right. Joe, thoughts on whether kids should be? I, I think they should be singing the international. <laughs> What is the international? That that is is that like the song of the revolution or something? Is that what it it's, is? It's the international workers' song. It's oh, the, right. the communist song. Yes. Yep. Yep. I, I think it holds more. I, I, this sort I, of nationalist I, jingoism just gives me the shits. When people say I'm proud to be an Australian, I'm thinking, yeah. why you were born here? You've not done anything to achieve it. Yes. I'm a foreigner. I actually had to work to get here. Yes. And I'm not proud of being an Australian. Mm. Uh, you know, it's... But even if you were, mm. is that how you would choose to express it? Mm. No. No. <laughs> That's right. Yes. I'm a proud Australian. Yep. Well, I it's just... just I don't know that I would It's say. just more importing of American nonsense. Mm. So, and just this nationalism. Mm. But is it going to have that impact? It's just not going to have that impact on young people. Oh, you say so. You don't think it'll have any impact on on, people, on a like, nationalist like, pride? Mm. I just think seriously, kids, fifteen, just... sixteen, you know, it's like oh, another thing, another bloody chore, another task. Mm. Yeah, I mean, we yeah. we had the school song, mm. which of course was in Latin, and even that, we just yeah. Yep. Roman says, it was God save the Queen when I was at primary school, showing her age. The bad kids up the back used to sing. God save our biscuit tin. Don't let the flies get in. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I think when I was in primary school, it might have been God save the Queen as well. So, And, of course. Know, so. Robin, uh, how old are you? I'm 50, 57. Yeah. So You don't ask a lady her age. Right. Well, I think she's kind of giving it away here. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. All things bright and beautiful, of course, we ended up singing the Monty Python version. Right. Yes, of course you did. Yeah. How does that go? Yeah. All things dull and ugly, all creatures short and squat. (laughs) Putrid, foul and gangrenous, the the Lord God made the lot. Skills. Yeah. (laughs) Romans just turned 60, for anyone who wanted to know. (laughs) Oh, I think it's a terrible move. I just think... It's just not encouraging 
there's nothing good about it and there's potentially bad about it. I just think it's... I, I just don't see the point. Yes. Mm. Yeah. And it's just like, well, we're so good, let's sing how good we are. But, you know, isn't everybody in the world good, essentially? Like, are we that much better than others? I think it's just encouraging a nationalist jingoism that we can do without. Deutschland, Deutschland über alles. Mm. Yes. So what was the next one I had here? Alan Tudge, he's worried that our national it curriculum... It does sound like a euphemism for masturbation, doesn't it? Alan Tudge? I'm just going for a quick Alan Tudge. <laughs> I'm just going to say... <laughs> a bit of rhyming slang. <laughs> yes. Uh, his complaint is that the national curriculum in history is too woke and not saying enough positive things about Anzac, Christianity and liberal democracy. So the Labor, State and Territory education ministers are not being very helpful because he wants more emphasis on positive things like Anzac, Christianity and liberal democracy. And he says, quote, We should expect young Australians leaving school to understand how a nation is one of the most free, wealthy, tolerant and egalitarian societies in all of human history. Tudge recently mm. told the Centre for Independent Studies a right-wing think tank. There we go. That's the well, caliber of... it is, but not for the reasons he thinks. And it depends on your point of view, I guess. I mean, if you're Indigenous, you may not think uh, we're so I, I th tolerant and egalitarian, perhaps. So, well, mm. but in comparison. Mm. Well, in comparison to how they were living beforehand, who knows? I, I was mm. going to say, do you think that was mm. tolerant and egalitarian? Mm. Depending where you're depending on your conditions. I think there's a big variation between how good the country was to you at the time and whether you're in good country or bad country. Mm. Oh, I just meant in terms of whether you're male or female. Yes. You know, mm. we, we tend to look back quite often and go, the noble savage. Mm. And I don't know that things were as bright and rosy as people like to imagine. No. But you know what? There was a lot of free time, I reckon. Mm. And... Um, because so, I've been doing a bit of reading also on sort of medieval history and just lifestyles. Mm -hmm. And people had more time. Like I just think of people today and how busy people are. And back in those days, okay, you're busy at harvest times and other times, but there was certainly a lot of downtime as well where you could just eat, drink and be merry as well. Okay, mm -hmm. you got a small cut in your foot which ended up getting infected and you died. died. <laughs> But you but, could read a book. <laughs> Don't read a book. Not that there were any books around. <laughs> if you had if one, it you was, could have read it. And if, it <laughs> and if there was one, it was probably the Bible. Yeah. Hot off the Gutenberg Press. <laughs> mm. Anyway, Alan Tudge. Finest. Anyone watch Q&A the other day? I no. did. Did you? I did, yeah. Because I saw something on Twitter and I thought, that's fascinating. Right. So they had the Environment Minister... Oh, sorry, now Treasurer from the Liberal Party of New South Wales on, on. Right. And he told the Australian editor that he was somebody that needs to get out of the way uh, around renewables. Did you renewables. say that to Greg Sheridan? Is he is the Australian, the Australian uh, one of the Australian He's the editors? Foreign Affairs Editor. Oh, well, he, that was, could be it. It would have been him. It was the only... Yeah, yeah. 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 And publicly criticised Scott Morrison. Right. And was, frankly... Really impressive. I right. thought it was really impressive. I thought it gave me a little bit of inspiration around, you know, being making change in your own party. So he was the he is the treasurer of New South Wales. Okay, right. Yeah. So he's a liberal. So he's a liberal. He's, right. 
Well, and he's um, taken them on and he's he's gotten a brilliant policy over the line. They have yeah. a really ambitious target. Right. I think it's 2030 and he's just stipulated in the policy that he's going to transition everybody into jobs. Right. So he can only put renewables in places where he can guarantee such and such a thing. And that got the party over the line. So now they have this ambitious target to be New South Wales to be, yeah, Okay. Zero emissions or something by I think twenty thirty. Right. So So I he was, seemed quite good and reasonable. And really and, good, reasonably really reasonable. And, and, and Dominic Perrottet is happy to have him in spite of his cabinet. Wow. I, I know. Did did he inherit him or Right. I don't know. Was was this well, a Perrottet was the previous treasurer and saying, so, you know, this guy's been promoted to treasurer. Well Matt Keane so. has been agitating for for yeah. years. Yeah. Okay. Well I turned it well. I think it just came up on the screen and I uh, thought, oh, you know, I wonder what that's on tonight. And the first thing I saw was Greg Sheridan and I was like, oh, for God's sake, what, you, what is the ABC doing putting Greg Sheridan on these panels? He's Quanda said, the lady who hosts it, said that she asked everybody. She asked a range, she listed all the conservative politicians that she'd asked to come on the show and they said no and the Australian editor bloke he he said that's a mistake and we need more of them to come on q a and make their case around coal really she yep. said she, you're wondering why said, he's here if you're wondering why we don't have anybody from the current government here and she listed every single person she'd invited to come on the show all of whom declined well she should not have invited greg sheridan she should have mm. just said okay we tried all these people they didn't want to forget come. it and Greg Sheridan has been on a thousand times. He he has got a platform. schooled. He has he a platform on the Australian whenever he wants to. He's full of shit. Yeah. And and a liberal told yeah. him so. It was bloody fantastic. Right. Oh, okay. Well, I, I I might have stayed to watch if I yes. known that was going to happen. I, I thought there was a big movement in the Liberal Party. The number of independents who are former liberals who are standing. Going, I'm a liberal, but I don't agree with the climate policy. Mm, okay. I think there is a certain power base that might be funded by certain large corporations, mm-hmm. mm. but they don't reflect the majority of the party. There you go. Okay. Mm. So, all right, Bronman says that they get monstered by government inquiries if they don't put people like yeah. Craig Sheridan on. Well, I reckon just... Say we invited We're, all these clowns, none of them wanted to come on. So if they don't come on, too bad. That's We've right. Given them the opportunity, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make a exactly. drink. Exactly. Yeah. Just a reminder of the calibre of thought that comes from Greg Sheridan. His comments on Iraq when America invaded. He's, uh, he couldn't contain himself. He said, quote, The bald eagle of American power is aloft, high above the humble earth. Or as it soars and sweeps, it sees victory, power, and opportunity. For God's sake. And the same Greg Sheridan, who is so anti-China now, part of the anti-China. Mm. Like, honestly, when I pick up the papers and read the Korean Mail in Australia every morning, it amazes me how often they can weave in an anti-China rhetoric into the day's news mm. in the Australian. They, they just go for it all the time. Mm. And but he was corrected on that as well. Right. Because there was a lady there who used to work for Joe Biden and she was just saying, oh, it might not have been her, but it might be someone else on the panel, just saying China was 
China has done a number of things. They've got more electric vehicles per capita. They've got blah, 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 all this stuff happening. Right, yep. So stop making America seem like they're right. so good, I there think. There we go, yeah. yeah. So on China, he did a complete about-face because when Australia did the China-Australia Free Trade Agreement, mm. CHAFTA, which of course was done by Abbott, yes, who Greg Sheridan loved, when the Labor Party said, hmm, don't like the look and smell of this thing because it could be a problem for Australian jobs and, and basically questioned a whole bunch of things. Sheridan was one of the main ones to just go for the Labor Party and say, how dare you put in jeopardy this marvellous agreement between Australia and China, this free trade agreement. So the Australian declared Abbott vindicated for standing firm against the misleading and xenophobic campaign run against Chafter. The Oz's foreign editor, Greg Sheridan, attacked Bill Shorten as absolutely disgraceful and said he had licensed economic vandalism and failed to speak out against gross xenophobic paranoia from within the Labor movement for when Labor was questioning whether the chapter was a good deal or not. And now you just can't shut these guys up when they're talking about China and what they consider to be the evil uh, things that it's mm. up to. So, And, of course, he's written that stupid book about Christianity being the, the basis for everything good in the world. Oh, mm. Honestly, I just... Even what you've told me, even if you promised me, here's an hour of people just schooling Greg Sheridan on a panel show and giving it to him, I just still couldn't watch it because I had to look at his face and hear his mm. occasional comments. So. Mm. Well, yeah, yeah, you would have... Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, I go. gave you the good points. Now you don't you. have to. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. That was the best. And you would have found, you would have found it because even I found it frustrating because it was like I let you guys finish. Yeah. It's like, well, you're talking so much shit. Everybody wants to just interrupt yeah. you. Move on. Yes. Okay. I'm glad you've given me that pricey. I didn't have to go through <laughs> yeah, it myself. Exactly. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> mm. Okay. Alison in the chat room <laughs> says, "I turned his book around at Dimmicks last week." <laughs> That's uh, those little things. <laughs> Was it in the fiction section? <laughs> the fantasy section? Okay. Taking the knee. Mm. So this has become the thing now for ever since Colin Kaepernick, Kaepernick. did it. 49 as a player, mm. quarterback at the time, mm. uh, refusing to stand for the national anthem. Mm. And actually there's quite a big story about the national anthem at NFL games. It wasn't always the case. Like these things didn't always happen and, of course, they get a life of their own. But we won't digress down that. Oh, Alison says it was in the religion section. Okay. So he started it with this taking the knee and copped a lot of abuse for it. Mm. And, of course, it's since then been taken up by lots of sporting teams mm. who take a knee when the national anthems are being played or sung or whatever prior to the start of a sporting match. Yes. Yep. So in cricket, there was a South African wicketkeeper, Quinton, Quinton de Kock. Yeah. I, I was going to say that, sir. About Alan Todd. We won't descend into that. <laughs> he decided against taking a knee alongside his Proteas teammates at the T20 World Cup. So, so he made headlines when he withdrew from the match against the West Indies after Cricket South Africa issued a directive to its players and staff to take a knee in support of the Black Lives Matter movement. Mm. So a directive from up high 
telling him what to do. He copped a tsunami of backlash, including from this ABC commentator, Tony Armstrong, who said, uh, how racist do you have to be to not just take a knee and do that in conjunction with your teammates to show support, to even pretend to show support? Question mark. But on the Thursday, de Kock released a wide-ranging statement apologising to his teammates, saying he was more than happy to participate in the anti-racism gesture. And he said if he had his time again, he would have taken the knee. So I have a bit of an issue, really, with sports people being told by administration that you're going to go down the field, we're going to have the national anthem, you're going to take the knee, and then you can play the game. And it's a political statement Mm. to take the knee. And when people signed up to be sports people... Aren't they just supposed to, can they not just be a sports person? Like he wasn't protesting against it. You just if you're not taking the knee, does it say I object to this or does it say I just don't want to do it? Mm. I don't want to be part of a political statement. Mm. I just he he object you know, part of his reasoning was he didn't like being told what to do and being forced to. And I can really get that. I have some sympathy for that it's like i don't want any actually don't want national anthems or any political statements at a sporting event even a even a test match Mm. like a once in a year type thing just it's not the place it's just a goddamn sporting match as far as Mm. i'm concerned i don't like these nationalist jingoistic things did you grow up with anthems before sporting i don't reckon there when i was a kid yeah i think because for I me, don't they just seem think... obviously part of the course. Yeah. It's never occurred to me that they wouldn't be there. I don't I... think grand. I don't even think grand finals. Regularly, matches only, only international matches. Yes, yes, might have had them. And, and it was more. It was only when it was the World Cup or something like that, or the Olympics, mm. where you were celebrating. You know, a particular team had won. Mm. But aside from that, I don't remember. Yeah, certainly soccer in the UK didn't. Mm. And now? I don't think so. Mm. Well, it's a regular thing at sort of NRL mm. matches and whatnot these days. So, mm. yeah. But it's becoming sort of, I don't know what word I'm looking for, but it's almost like it's becoming uh, sports teams almost have a sense that they have a role to play around mm. the race stuff. But if you're telling and people. equity stuff. Yeah. But at if, first, mm. uh, from what I looked at, at mm. first he could opt in or opt out. So at mm. first... They were just taking the knee and then some of them raised their fist and then old mate just stood there. Mm. And so then it was a direction. Mm. And that might be just for synergy or optics. Mm. Not sure. But why Why with, I don't know, it just seems like kind of he threw a bit of a tantrum. Mm. Can't he just ring his coach like he would for anything else mm. and say, you know, you told me to hit the bat that way. I'm not going to do it that way. I'd rather do it this way. Mm. Right, dear listener, now I've intentionally so, left out some salient facts here. So you've all got your little opinions uh, out there about <laughs> yeah. what this, you've sort of got gut feelings, haven't you? So here's the next bit from his full statement. For those who don't know, I come from a mixed-race family. My half-sisters are coloured and my stepmom is black. I feel like my rights were taken away when I was told, what we had to do in the way that we were told. The rights and equality of all people is more important than any individual. I was raised to understand that we all have rights and they are important. So so what do you think of that? Does it change your view 
knowing that he comes from a mixed-race family. His half-sisters are colours and his stepmom is black. No. no. I still think I still think if he had an objection, he could have consulted his people, mm. which he did after the I, fact, and I, now he's all good. I, yeah. I think telling your team that they have to make a public political statement is compelled mm. speech, mm. Uh, and I think he was perfectly right to walk away and say mm. no. I, I Well... Because you already had that opinion. For people who didn't think that people before, thinking the opposite. has it now swung you across, I ask. Ross says no. But anyway, I, as I was reading it, I thought, oh, that's an interesting little... Paints a slightly different picture of the guy uh, to me. Well, I, I think... I was already on his side, but... Yeah. I think you can... You can agree with somebody politically, but uh, disagree mm. with the way they express it. Mm. So, yeah, mm. ex- Extinction Rebellion, I'm mm. very much uh, of the opinion that we need to do something about climate change, but mm. I don't agree that gluing yourself to the pavement mm. in the middle of the city is necessarily the way to do it. Mm. And, you know, we've just had the case in recent times of Israel Folau sprouting his mm-hmm. opinions about non-sports stuff, and a lot of us thought, just shut up, we don't want to hear it. You're there to play sport. So if you take the view that you wanted Falao to shut up and not subject us to his opinion on religion, mm. on a philosophical matter, I would have thought you'd have some sympathy for I do want him to shut want, up. To, yeah. yeah. And, and I don't think they're qualified. And another player says, I want to shut up and you're making me <laughs> make a statement. <laughs> That's essentially what's happening is he's saying, I don't want to make he, a statement. hasn't he like A, cancelled himself and then B, made a big hoo-ha about it? No, no, well, ignoring that. He doesn't, that, seem, ignoring he doesn't that. seem very silent at all. Well, he had a problem where the team told him, this is what you've got to do. You've got to make, it's like you could, one way of looking at it is the actual, the ARU saying to people, you've got to make a statement and something like, oh, I don't want to make a statement. <laughs> I suppose. And they've been, been told to. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so anyway, I thought that was an interesting one and I just think we should keep, sp- I, honestly, I, our sporting heroes are in no way qualified to talk about anything other than how to pass a football and kick and run and most of the time they've got no idea what they're doing anyway. So. Well, I, I think this guy's possibly mm. in a good position to talk about racism. mm Having grown yes. up in a mixed race family, yes, he's probably seen it more than others. I, I don't know. Mm. I, I think it seems to be more about the politics, the optics, mm. than actually caring. Mm. You know, oh, if we take the knee, that's all we have to do. We don't need to worry about it. We're mm. get the feeling that he might actually be doing something about it. And he's saying, I don't want to join in in your public show. Yes, your virtue signalling. Mm. Yes, yeah. Anyway, that was interesting. How are we going for time? 8.51. You know much about critical race theory? No. Right. It's a very difficult topic. It's a very tricky concept to get around your head. Uh, Isn't it being made to be tricky? My understanding Mm. is it's saying that things aren't black and white. Mm-hmm no pun intended, and that we need to look at multiple levels of discrimination. Mm. And some people are taking it possibly too far. Mm. 
as is quite often the case, and people on the other side are taking the crazies on one side and using that to paint the whole thing. It's quite big in the, the Christian movement is keen. This whole Alan Tudge thing mm-hmm. is, is there's going to be a lot of talk about critical race theory in the times ahead because it's becoming big in America and and these nutbags here in the Liberal Party and the LNP watching podcasts coming out of America and wanting to adopt whatever the latest is out of there. So, so I was listening to a podcast called Opening Arguments. Have you ever listened to that one? Mm, I mm. know of it. I've mm. never listened to it. So I thought I'd try and give you just a little bit of a, a two-minute gist or gist on that gist. one. Gist. So critical race theory, it seems to me, well, it did. It started as out. Well, it originates from a thing called critical legal studies. So that's where it all comes from. And critical race theory evolved out of critical legal studies. Mm. And essentially, critical legal studies was saying, look, all you lawyers, you've got these rules that you are applying to these situations. If this, then that. If elements A, B and C, then result X, Y, Z. You've got these rules that you are interpreting and applying. But what you need to do is put that in the context of well, where the hell did those rules come from and where did they derive out of and is that in, and just bear that in mind. So, mm. for example, there's the sort of Lockean view that in order to be entitled to claim land, you had to have done something with the land, put structures on it, grazed cattle, erected fences, done stuff. Cleared trees. Yeah. And if you did that, then as a settler, you acquired ownership through transforming the land. And that was a European Lockean view of 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 property rights. Mm. And so when the legal system, there's a lot of law that's kind of based on that concept. And what they were saying in critical legal studies was just step back from the the elements that you are trained to observe and just ask yourself, well, where did those elements come from in the first place? And sort of traditional native ownership didn't require those sorts of things because they were nomadic and they weren't, you know, doing those sorts of things and they had a different understanding of ownership of land. Mm. And it wasn't necessarily saying that's one's better than the other or whatever, but as a critical thinker, when you are applying these rules, think to yourself, actually, this is an adoption of a Western mode of thinking that we're applying here. There are other modes of thinking that we're not applying. And sort of that's a critical legal study. It's more complicated than that. I've probably bastardized it, but that's a good example. And then... Uh, critical race theory which I would explain by this example he gave was where domestic violence they found that there was a reluctance by women to force the issue of having men folk charged with domestic violence and there was a hesitation because they were kind of intimidated Mm. so they brought in this law which was if there was a complaint, then then the police had to make an arrest mm. in order to kickstart something, whether the woman wanted it or not, so that things would get done. Mm. 
The problem was that... It's easier to arrest the woman. That they started where there was a fight between a man and a woman, particularly a black, the police would observe the woman as being equally as combative as the man and would arrest the woman. Also, men in Hispanic families might be arrested and charged and that could then lead to them being deported, sent back to Mexico, Mm. which was having a devastating effect. So a law which was on the face of it race-neutral had an effect on a particular races more than other ones. Mm. So that was sort of part of critical race theory. So it's what you were saying, Joe, is that when you are applying a law, you have to understand that on the face of it, it may be uh, race neutral, but because of a whole range of other dynamics, often associated with different racial groups, a different, quite unfair and unhelpful result could happen. Because these people who constructed the laws were sort of white, comfortable middle class and were applying, okay, white woman being harassed by white husband, I'll introduce this law because, and, and without contemplating the effects that that might have in a Hispanic or a black sort of community. So mm. that was sort of critical race theory. So, so it's really about being capable of thinking outside the paradigm that you're in and considering other paradigms that might apply and and taking a nuanced view and understanding different sort of interplay of factors. So there you go, dear listener, when you're reading the Murdoch Press and people like Kevin Donnelly and others start talking about the terrible introduction of critical race theory and stuff like that into Australian studies. Now, now people can take that to a... Were you going to say? I, yeah. I was about to say that the the complaints that I'd heard were, and I, I don't know how true they are, but uh, of teenage boys being told to apologise for their whiteness in class. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And that has been labelled as being critical race theory. Mm. So it's probably a misapplication of a term to something that isn't what it's supposed to be. Correct. Yeah, it's a sort of a straw manning of... Of, but certainly of, if that is going on, that is not a healthy thing. Correct. But but actual critical race theory and critical legal studies is actually just being clever and and thoughtful about other possibilities and other ways of thinking. So it's not as evil as it sounds. It's certainly if people want to take it to an extreme and bastardise it and fashion it into something else, then that's not good. But just on its own... The idea Mm. of critical legal studies and critical race theory isn't such a bad idea. Tom says, as a student of jurisprudence who majored in legal theory, I think standpoint theory is the best one because it incorporates all of them. It has no subjective view behind it. So... My problem is not so much in the law where law is subjective, but more when that mindset gets applied in things like the sciences where, well, this is the Western view of science. We're doing science this way because it's the Western and we have alternate ways of knowing things. Yeah. And where indigenous, indigenous knowledge... Smoke ceremonies. Well, indigenous mm. knowledge is just mm. accepted as equivalent to... Yes. R- rather than being mm. taken as this is the basis, let's explore this, let's find out whether it's accurate, mm. people just go, oh, no, no, we accept it because it's it's equivalent to Western science. Yes. No, it isn't. 
Mm. Because science isn't Western. Science mm. is human. Mm. Mm. So, yeah. yeah, there's the difference. Anyway, that'll be a topic that we'll talk about down the track, I'm sure. But just because it's critical race theory doesn't mean of itself it's a bad thing. If it's taken to an extreme, maybe it is. And also, people talk about cultural Marxism as well as part of all this. And that'll be another topic. But yeah. Essentially, critical race theory is not Marxist in any way. So people, no. be- people behind it were actually anti-Marxist. And mm. critical race theory is postmodern in that, oh, there are various ways of looking at things and not wanting to be judgmental as to which is the best is a sort of a postmodernist view, whereas Marx had an idea of which was best and his ideas. So Yeah, I mean... But but Marxism was about reversing the power structures. Yes, yep. And a lot of these ideas that the right are fighting against are about ostensibly equalising the power structures, tearing down the current power structures and making it more egalitarian. That the right are fighting against. Yes. yes. But yep. the allegation yep. is that it's actually an inversion of the power structure. Yes, yep. So anyway, it's just I just seeing these references in different essays and articles, and mm. so a little, a little sort of starter on critical race theory, and we'll get into that another time. Have you ever heard? Because the way the guy from the Australian remarked back to Matt Keane when he said, "You need you're like old fashioned. You need to get out of the way of renewables." Old mate from the Australian said, "Well, that's a very Marxist comment." <laughs> That's what the classic, yes. And that's what you're talking yes. about, right? It's the way that they're just throwing it in here yeah. and throwing it in there. Yes, like. yes. So, because everyone hates Marx. <laughs> exactly. And, and, and that's a very communist way of looking at it, socialist. <laughs> I was going to say in America it would be socialist would yes. be the allegation. Yes. 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 So, yeah. yeah. Oh, interesting. Oh, yes, it's everywhere. Yeah. All right, dear listener, we've made it to 903. Mm. Shay has been spared from the shark tank. <laughs> Good to have you. Look, uh, I've made my notes on my book review. I didn't get around to it. I could make all sorts of excuses, but, you know, I just wasn't feeling it. But hopefully I will this week. So, anyway. Good riddance, Alan Alan Jones, by the way, Tom. Yeah. 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 Okay. That's enough topics. All right. Thanks for uh, tuning in. Thanks in the chat room. You had lots of things to say there. And Mm -hmm. we will maybe be back next week, maybe the week after. Not sure. Talk to you later. Bye for now. Bye. That's a good night from him.